Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to the MTG, Magic the Gathering unofficial audiobooks. I wanted to give a little background on where we are in the Magic storyline. As you know, we started with The Brothers' War, which is the first character-driven magic book and storyline following Urza and his story and legacy. And part of that legacy in the lore of magic is the usage of the Silex to blow up Dominaria, right? Now, in the story we're in now, part two of the artifact cycle, we're actually jumping 4,000 years into the future. What happened on Dominaria is the Ice Age and the actual set and story that was released with the cards is exactly what happened over this time period, the Ice Age. And we'll learn more about in this book about what Urza was up to, but chronologically, there is a set of books around the Ice Age saga, The Gathering Dark, The Eternal Ice, and The Shattering Alliance, and these books follow the tales of what happened in Dominaria during that Ice Age. And so, where we are at now, 4,000 years have passed before we find Urza back on Dominaria. All right, before we go too, I want to say thank you for listening for sure. Please share the show with your friends. You can also follow me on Twitter at Phil in Sendai. That's S-E-N-D-A-I. That's where I live and give updates about the book, everything else I'm doing. It's very cool. I appreciate that. And don't forget the Patreon is live. I'd love your support for the show. It will truly make me happy to start connecting with you and seeing this thing continue to grow. All right, with that, let's get to it. Two. Nearly five years after Argoth was destroyed and the war between the brothers had ended, Tanos came to my courtyard. He told me much that I had never known, much that I have written here. He told me that my husband was dead and that he died with my name on his lips. It is a pretty thought and I would like to believe it, but I am not certain that Urza died and if he did, he would have died calling to Mishra, not me. Zansha lightly brushed her fingertips over brittle vellum before closing her tooled leather cover of the Antiquity Wars. It was the oldest among her copies of Caleb Ben Krug's epic history, and the scribe who'd copied and translated it nearly 1,200 years earlier claimed he had Kayla's original manuscript in front of him. Zansha had her doubts, if not about the scribe's honesty, then about his gullibility. Not that it either mattered, for a tale that had no heroes and a very bitter ending, the Antiquity Wars had been very carefully preserved for nearly three and a half millennia. It was as if everyone still heeded the warning in Kayla's opening lines. Let this, the testament of Kayla ben Krug, the last of Yosha, serve as memory so that our mistakes will never be repeated. Zansha stared beyond the table. On a good night, the window would have been open. She could have lost her thoughts in the stars twinkling above the isolated cottage. But Dominaria hadn't completely recovered from the unnatural ice age that had followed the Brothers' War. Clear nights were rare on Zancha's side of the Orin Ridge, where the cottage was tucked into a crease of land, where the grass ended and the naked mountains began. 
Mostly the weather was cool or cold, damp or wet, or something in between. Tonight, gusty winds were propelling needle-sharp sleet against the shutters. The room had cooled while she read. Her breath was mist and, with a shivering sigh, Zansha made her way to the peat bin. There were no trees near the cottage. Her meager garden sprouted a new crop of stones every spring, and the crumbling clods that remained after she picked out the stones were better suited for the brazier than for nurturing grains and vegetables. She had to scrounge distant forests for her table and shutters. Even now that the cottage was finished, she spent much of her time scrounging the remains of Terrasayer for food and rumors. Shredding a double handful of peat into the brazier beneath the table, Zancha found, as she often did, the squishy remains of an acorn, a reminder of just how much Urza and his brother had changed their world with their war. When whole, the acorn would have been as large as her fist, and the tree that had dropped it would have a trunk as broad as the cottage was wide. She crumbled the acorn and with the rest and stirred the coals until palpable heat radiated from the iron bucket. Zancha forgot the table and hit her head hard as she stood. She sat a moment, rubbing her scalp and muttering curses, until she remembered the candlestick. With a louder curse, she scrambled to her feet, waste not, want not, it hadn't toppled. Her book was safe. She returned to her stool and opened to a random page. Kayla's portrait stared back at her, dusky, slow-eyed, and seductive. Zancha owned four illustrated copies of the Antiquity Wars, each one depicted Kayla differently. Her favorite showed Urza's wife as a tall, graceful, and voluptuous woman with long, blonde hair. But Zancha knew none of the portraits were accurate. Staring at the shutters, she tried to imagine the face of the woman who had known and perhaps loved Urza the Artificer while he was a mortal man. One thing was certain, Zancha didn't resemble Kayla bin Krug. There were no extravagant curves in Zancha's candlelit silhouette. She was short, not tall, and her hair was a very drab brown, which she cropped raggedly around her face that was more angular than attractive. Zancha could, and usually did, pass herself off as a slight youth awaiting his full growth and first beard. Still, Zancha thought, she and Kayla would have been friends. Life had forced many of the same hard lessons down their throats. Kayla, however, wasn't the epic character who intrigued Zancha most. That honor went to Urza's brother, Mishra. Three of Zancha's illustrated volumes depicted Mishra as a whip-lean man with hard eyes. The fourth portrayed him as soft and lazy like an overfed cat. Neither type matched Kayla's word picture. To Kayla, Mishra had been tall and powerful with straight black hair worn wild and full. Mishra's smile, his sister by law had written, was warm and bright as the sun on a midsummer's day, and his eyes sparkled with wit when they weren't flashing full of suspicion. Not all the antiquity wars in Zancha's collection included Kayla's almost indiscreet portrait of her husband's brother. Some scribes had openly seized an opportunity to take a moral stance, not only against Mishra, but other men of more recent vintage as if the princess of ancient Yosha could have foreseen the vices of the Samosar of Evian or Ninkin the Bold. One scribe, writing in the year 2657, admitted that she omitted the Mishra section entirely because it was inconsistent with Kayla's loyalty to her husband and, therefore, a likely fraud and absolutely inappropriate for the education of the young prince who is expected to learn his statecraft from her copy of the epic. Zancha wondered if the priggish scribe had seen the picture on her table. The Caleb bin Krug of Zancha's oldest copy wore a veil, three pearl ropes, and very little else. 
few men could have resisted her allure. One of them had been her husband. Beyond doubt, Urza had neglected his wife. No woman had ever intrigued Urza half as much as his artifacts. How many evenings might Kayla have gone to bed railing at the fates who'd sent the chast Urza to her father's palace rather than his charming brother? Urza had never questioned his wife's fidelity. At least, Zancha had never heard him raise that question. Then again, the man who lived and worked on the other side of the wall at Zancha's back had never mentioned his son, or grandson, either. With a sigh and a yawn, Zancha stowed the book in a chest that had no lock. They didn't need locks in the absolute middle of nowhere. Urza had the power to protect them from anything. The heavy lid served only to discourage the mice that would otherwise have devoured the vellum. Zancha! Urza's voice came through the wall as she contemplated the precious library she'd accumulated over the last two and a half centuries. She leapt instantly to her feet. The lid fell off with a bang. Urza had shut himself in his workroom while she'd been off scrounging, and she'd known better to interrupt him when she'd returned. Sixteen days had passed since she'd last heard his voice. Their cottage had two rooms. Hers, which had begun as a shed around an outdoor bread oven, and Urza's, which consumed everything under the original roof, a dugout cellar and a storage alcove. Urza traveled light, but settled deep. Each room had a door to a common porch whose thatched roof provided some protection from the weather. Wind-driven sleet pelted her as Zancha darted down the porch. She shoved the door shut behind her, then, when Urza hadn't noticed the sound or draft, took her measure before approaching him. Urza, the great artificer, sat at a high table on a stool identical to her own. By candlelight, Zancha saw that he was dressed in the same tattered blue tunic he'd been wearing when she'd last seen him. His ash-blonde hair spewed from the thong meant to confine it at the nape of his neck. It wasn't dirty, not the way her hair would have gotten foul if it went that long between washings. Urza didn't sweat or purge himself in any of the usual ways. He didn't breathe when he was wrapped in his studies and never needed to eat, though he spoke in the mortal way and ate heartily sometimes, if she'd cooked something that appealed to him. He drank water, never caring where it came from or how long it had stood stagnant, but the slop bucket beside his door never needed emptying. Urza didn't get tired either, which was more serious of a problem because he remained man enough to need sleep and dreams for purging his thoughts. There were times when Zancha believed that all Urza's thoughts needed purging, and this was one of them. Mountains rose from Urza's table, all too familiar mountains shaped from clay and crockery. Quicksilver streams overflowed the corners as melting sleet trickled down her spine. Zancha wondered if she could retreat and pretend she hadn't heard. She judged that she could have, but didn't. I've come, she announced in a language only she and Urza spoke, rooted in ancient Argivian with a leavening of Yoshin and tidbits from a thousand other worlds. Urza spun quickly on the stool, too quickly for her eyes to follow his movement. Indeed, he hadn't moved. He reshaped himself. It was never a good sign when Urza forgot his body. Meeting his eyes confirmed Zancha's suspicions. They glowed with their own facet, rainbow light. You summoned me. He blinked, and his eyes turned mortal, dark irises within white sclera. But that was the illusion. The other was real. Yes, yes! Come look, Zancha. Look at what has been revealed. She'd sooner have entered the ninth sphere of Phyrexia. Well, perhaps the ninth sphere, but the seventh, certainly. Come, come. It's not like the last time. At least he remembered the last time when the mountains had exploded. 
Zancha crossed the narrows of the oblong room until she stood at arm's length from the table. Contrary to his assurance, it was like the last time. Exactly like the last time, and the time before that. He'd recreated the plain and the river core below the Kerr Ridge and covered the plain with gnats. She kept her distance. I'm no judge, Urza, but to my poor eyes it looks... similar. You must get closer. He offered her a glass lens set in an ivory ring. It might have been seething poison for the enthusiasm with which he took it. He offered her his stool. When that didn't entice her, he grabbed her arm and pulled. Zancha clambered onto the stool and bent over the table with the glass between her and the gnats. Despite reluctance and reservation, Zancha let out an awed sigh. As an artificer, Urza was incomparable. What had appeared to be gnats were, as she had known they would be, tiny automata, each perfectly formed and unique. In addition to men and women, there were horses, their tails swishing in imperceptible breezes, harnessed to minuscule carts. She didn't doubt that each was surrounded by a cloud of flies that the glass could not resolve. Nothing on the table was alive. Urza was adamant that his artifacts remained within what he called the supreme principle of the Thran. Artifacts were engines in service to life, never life itself, and never, ever, sentient. Bright tents pimpled Urza's table landscape. There were even miniature reproductions of the artifacts he and his brother had brought to the place in time that Kayla had called the Dawn of Fire. Zancha focused her attention on the automata. She found Mishra's shiny dragon engine, a ground-bound bumblebee among the gnats and Urza's delicate ornithopters. When Zancha saw an ornithopter spread its wings and rise above the table, she was confident that she'd seen the reason for Urza's summons. Miniaturizing those early artifacts had been a greater challenge than creating the swarms of tiny men and women who milled around them. You've got them flying! Urza pushed her aside. His eyes required no polished glass assistance. He could most likely see the horseflies, the fleas, and the worms as well. Zancha noticed that he was frowning. It's very good, she assured him fearing that her initial response hadn't been sincere enough. No, no, you're looking in the wrong place, Sancha. Look here. He positioned her hands above the largest tent. What do you see now? Blue cloth, she replied, knowing full well that within the tent, Automata re representing Urza and the major characters of Kayla's epic were midway through a scene she'd observed many times before. At first, she'd been curious to see how Urza's script might differ from his wife's, but... Not anymore. Urza muttered something, but it was probably just as well that Zancha didn't quite catch it, and the blue cloth became a shadow through which the automata could be clearly seen. There was Urza, accurate down to the same blue shirt and threadbare trousers. His master student, Tanos, stood nearby, a half-head taller than the rest. The Krug warlord, the Falaji Kadir, and a score of others, all moving as if they were alive and oblivious to the huge face hovering overhead. Mishra was in the shadowed tent, too, but Urza was peculiar about his younger brother's gnat. While all the others had mortal features, Mishra was never more than a wisp of metal at the Kadir's side. "'Is it the second morning?' Zancha asked. Urza was breathing down her neck, expecting conversation. She hoped he didn't intend to show her the assassinations. Suffering, even of automata, repelled her. Another grumble from Urza. Then, look for Ashnod!' According to the Antiquity Wars, auburn-haired Ashnod wasn't at the dawn of fire, but Urza always made a gnat in her image. 
He'd put it on the table where it did nothing except get in the way of others. To appease her hovering companion, Zancha moved over the glass slightly and found a red-capped dot in the shadow of another tent. You moved her there? Never! Urza roared. His eyes flashed and the air within the cottage was still. I refine my understanding. I do not ever control them. Each time, I create new opportunities for the truth to emerge. Time, Zancha. Time is always the key. I call them motes of time, the tiny motes of time that replay the past. Long after the events have passed beyond memory, the more I refine my automata, the more of those motes I can attract. Truth attracts truth as time attracts time, Zancha. And the more motes of time I can attract, the more truth I can learn about that day. And finally, and finally, the truth clings to Ashnod as she had been drawn out of her lies and deception. Watch as she reveals what I have always suspected. Urza snapped his fingers and, equally fascinated and repelled, Zancha watched Ashnod's gnat skulk from shadow to shadow until it was outside the parley tent, very near Mishra's back. Then the Ashnod gnat knelt and manipulated something. The glass wasn't strong enough to unmask the object, and a tiny spark leaped from her hands. Mishra's wisps and filings glowed green. The illusion of movement and free will was so seamless that Zancha asked, what, what did she do, rather than what did it do? What do you think? Were your eyes open? Were you paying attention? Must I move them backward and do it again? Urza replied. Urza was less tolerant of free will and his companions. Sancha marveled that Tanos never left him, but perhaps Urza had been less acid-tongued in his mortal days. I don't know. She set the lens on the shelf, slung beneath the table. It has never been my place to think. Tell me and I will stand enlightened. Their eyes locked, and for a moment Zancha stared into the ancient jewels through which Urza interpreted his life. Urza could reduce her to memory, but he blinked first. Proof! Proof at last! Ashnod's the one! I always suspected she was the first the Phyrexians suborned. Urza seized the lens and thrust it back into Zancha's hands. Now, look at the dragon engine. The Yoshins have not begun to move against the Kadir, but see, see, it has already awakened! Ashnod cast her spark upon my brother, and he called to it. It would only respond to him, you know? Zancha didn't peer through the lens. A blanket of light had fallen across the work table, a hungry blanket that rose into Urza's glowing eyes rather than fell from them. Mishra, Mishra, Urza whispered. If only you could see me, hear me. I was not there for you then, but I'm here for you now. Cast your heart upward, and I will open your eyes to the treachery around you. Zancha didn't doubt Urza's ability, only his sanity, especially when he started talking to his gnat brother. Urza believed that each moment of time contained every other moment, and that it was possible to not only recreate the past, but to reach into it and affect it. Someday, as sure as the sun rose in the east, Urza would talk to the gnats on his table. He'd tell Mishra all the secrets of his heart, and Mishra would answer him. None of it would be truth, but all of it would be real. Zancha dreaded that coming day, she set the lens down again and tried to distract Urza with a question. So, your side... Urza focused his eyes, uncanny light on her face. Not my side. I was not a party to anything that happened that day. I was ignorant of everything. They lied to me and deceived me. They knew I would never consent to their treachery. I would have stopped them. I would have warned my brother. Zancha beat a tactical retreat. Of course, but even if you had, the end would not have changed, she said in her most soothing tone. 
If you've got it right now, then the warlord schemes were irrelevant. Through Ashnod, the Phyrexians had their own treachery against the Kadir and the warlord, against you and Mishra. None of you were meant to survive. Yes, Urza said on a caught breath. Yes, exactly. Neither the Kadir nor the warlord were supposed to survive. It was a plot to capture me as they had already captured my brother. Thus he was willing but also reluctant to talk to me. He turned back to the table. I understand, brother. I forgive. Be strong, Mishra. I will find a way to save you as I saved myself. Zantra repressed a shudder. There were inconsistencies among her copies of the Antiquity Wars, but none of the scale that Urza proposed. Was your brother transformed then or still flesh? Urza backed away from the table. His eyes were clouded, almost normal in appearance. I will learn that next time, the time after that. They have suborned him. See how he responds to Ashnod? She was their first creature. They must have known that if we talked privately, I would have sensed that change in him. I would have set him free if there was still any part of him left that could have been freed. Or I would have turned my wrath on them from the point forward. They knew I could not be suborned. Zancha, because I possess the might stone. The stones have equal power, Zancha, but the power is different. The weak stone is weakness. The might stone is strength, and the Phyrexians never dared my strength. Ah, the evil that day, Zancha. If they had not driven us apart, there would have been no war, except against them. You see, Zancha, you see that, don't you? My brother and I together would have driven them back to Koilos. They knew our power before we'd begun to guess it. They and them. They and them. With Urza, it all came back to they and them. Phyrexians. Zancha knew the Phyrexians for the enemies they were. She'd never argue that they hadn't played a pivotal role in Urza's wars. Perhaps they had suborned Mishra and Ashnod too. But while Urza played with gnats on a tabletop, Another wave of Phyrexians, real Phyrexians, had washed up on Dominaria's shores. It makes no difference, she protested. Mishra's been dead for more than 3,000 years. It hardly matters whether you failed him, or Ashnod destroyed him, or the Phyrexians suborned him, or whether it happened before the dawn of fire or after. Urza, you're creating a past that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? They took my brother from me and made of him my greatest enemy. It matters, Zancha. It will always matter more than anything else. I must learn what they did and how and when they did it. He breathed a slow sigh. I could have stopped them. I must not fail again. He held his hands above the table. Zancha didn't need the lens to know that Mishra's gnat shone bright. I won't, Mishra. I will never fail again. I have learned caution. I have learned deception. I will not be tricked. Not even by you. Before Urza had brought Zanshu to Dominaria, she'd been more sympathetic to his guilt-driven obsessions. Now, she said, not even you can change the past. And didn't care if he struck her down for impudence. Are you going to stand by and play with your toys while Phyrexians steal your birthplace from you? They're back. I smelled them in Bazarat. And Morvern. The Bazarati and the Morvernish are at war with each other, just as the Yoshins and the Falaji were, and the Phyrexians are on both sides. Sound familiar? Her neck ached from staring up at him and braving his gemstone stare. Zancha had no arcane power to draw upon, but nose to nose, she was more stubborn. Why are we here? she asked in the breathless silence. 
If you're not going to take a stand against the Phyrexians, we could play games anywhere. Urza retreated. He moistened his lips and made other merely mortal gestures. Not games, Ancha. I can afford no more mistakes. Dominaria has not forgotten or forgiven what happened last time. I must tread lightly. So many died. So much was destroyed, and all because I was blind and deaf. I did not see that my brother was not himself, or that he was surrounded by enemies. I didn't hear his pleas for help. He never pled for help. That's why you didn't hear. And you can never know why he didn't, because you can never talk to him again. No matter what happens in this room, on that table, you can't bring him back. Now you've got Ashnod outside the tent. You've made her into another Phyrexian, pulling Mishra's strings. The Yoshans were planning an ambush. The Phyrexians were planning an ambush. And you weren't wise to either plot. Waste not, want not, Urza. If the Phyrexians had Ashnod before the dawn of fire, how did she manage, 30 years later, to send Tanos to you with the Silex? Or was that part of the plot too? A complete Phyrexian doesn't have a conscience, Urza. A complete Phyrexian doesn't feel remorse. It can't. Mishra never did. He couldn't. He'd been suborned, Urza shouted. Usurped, corrupted, destroyed. He was no longer a man when I faced him in Argoth. They'd taken his will, flinched his flesh, and stretched it over an abomination. But they didn't take Ashnod's will. She sent the Silex. Was her will stronger than your brother's? Zansha played a dangerous game herself and played it to the brink. Urza had frozen, no blinking or breathing, as if he'd become an artifact himself. Zansha pressed her advantage. Was Ashnod stronger than you too? Strong enough to double-deal the Phyrexians and save Dominaria in only the way she could? No, Urza whispered. No? No what, Urza? Once you start treating both men and women as Phyrexians, where do you stop? Ashnod skulking outside your tent before the dawn of fire. Ashnod sending Tonos with a Silex. One time she's a Phyrexian puppet, the next she's not. Are you sure you know which is which? Or maybe she was the puppet both times. And what would that make you? You use the Silex. Urza folded a fist. Stop, he warned. The Phyrexians spent 3,000 years trying to slay you before they gave up. I think they gave up because they'd found a better way. Leave you alone on a mountainside playing with toys. He'd have been a powerful man if muscle and bone had been his strength's only source. But Urza had the power of the Thran through his eyes and the power of a sorcerer standing on his native ground. His arm began to move. As long as she could see it moving, Zancha believed she was safe. The fist touched her hair and stopped. Zancha held her breath. He'd never come that close, never actually touched her before. They couldn't go on like this, not if there was any hope for Dominaria. Urza, she whispered when at last her lungs demanded air. Urza, can you hear me? Do you see me? Zancha touched his arm. Urza, Urza, talk to me. He trembled and grabbed her shoulder for balance. He didn't know his strength. Pain left her grasping. Her eyes were shut when he made the transition. Temporary, even at the best of times, back into the here and now. Something happened to Urza when he cast his power over the work table. Not the truth, but definitely real, and definitely getting worse. Zancha! His hand sprang away from her as though she were made of red-hot metal. Zancho! What is this? He stared at the crockery mountains as if he'd never seen them before, though Zancha had seen even that reaction more times than she cared to remember. You summoned me, Urza, she said flatly. 
You had something new to show me. But this? He gestured at his mountain and gnat-covered table. Where did this come from? Not, not me. Not again. She nodded. I, I was sitting on the porch as the sun set. It was quiet, peaceful. I, I thought of, I thought of the past, Zancha, and it began again. He shrank within himself. You weren't here. I was after food. You were inside when I returned, Urza. You've got to let go of the past. It's not... It's not healthy, even for you. This is not healthy. They stared at each other. This had happened so many times before that there was no longer a need for conversation. Even the moment when Urza swept everything off his table was entirely predictable. It started, Urza. Truly started. This time, there's a war south of here, Zancha said, while dust still rose from the crumbled mountains. Quicksilver slithered across the packed dirt floor, and gnats, by the hundreds, scrambled for shelter. Phyrexians? I ken them on both sides, sleepers. They take orders, they don't give them. But it's a dominarian war with Phyrexian interference on both sides. He took the details directly from her mind, a painless process when she cooperated. Bazaret and Morven. I do not know these names. They aren't mighty kingdoms with glorious histories. They're little more than walled cities, a few villages, and to keep the grudge going, a handful of gold mines in the hills between them, something for the Phyrexians to exploit. They're getting bolder. Bazaret and Morvern aren't the only places I've scented glistening oil in the wind. But this is the first war. You haven't interfered? His voice harshened and his eyes flashed. With Urza, madness was never more than a moment away. You said I mustn't, and I obey. You should look for yourself. Now is the time. Perhaps. I dare not move too soon. The land remembers. There can be no mistakes. I must have cause. I must be very careful, Zancha. If I reveal myself too soon, I foresee disaster. We must weigh our choices carefully. Retorts swirled in Zancha's mind. It's never truly we with Urza, but she'd made her choices long ago. No one will suspect. Even if you used your true name and shape. There have been a score of doomsaying Urzas on the road this year alone. You've become the stuff of legends. No one would believe you're you. A rare smile lit up her companion's face. Not bad, Stilf. Worse, but please go to Bazarat and Morvern. A quarrel has become war, so it began with the Falaji in the oceans. Who knows, there might be brothers. You've been up here too long, Urza. Urza reached into her mind again, gathering landmarks and languages which she willingly surrendered. Then, in a blink's time... She was back in her own proper consciousness. Urza faded into the between worlds, which was, among other things, the fastest way to travel across the surface of a single world. Good luck, she wished him, then knelt down. Crashing cockery had crushed a good many of Urza's gnats. Quicksilver had dissolved and counted others, yet many swirled around in confusion on the floor. Zancha labored until midnight, gathering them into a box no deeper than her finger, but far too steep for any of them to climb. When the dirt was motionless, she took the box into the alcove where Urza stored his raw materials. The shelves were neat. Every casket and flask was clearly labeled, albeit in a language Zancha couldn't read. She didn't need to read labels. The flask she wanted had a unique lambent glow. It was pure Floton, distilled from fire, starlight, and mana, a recipe Urza had found on the world where he'd found Zancha. Waste not, want not, she whispered over the seething box. The gnats blazed like fireflies as they fell through the Floton. Then they were gone. 
Zancha resealed the flask and replaced it on the shelf exactly as she'd found it, before returning to her own room. She had a plan of her own, which she promised herself she'd implement when the time was right. That time had come when Urza touched her hair. If Urza couldn't see the present Phyrexian threat because he was obsessed with the past, if he couldn't care about the folk of Bazarat or Morvern because he still cared too much about what happened to Mishra, then Zancha figured she had to bring the past and Mishra to Urza. She had it all worked out in her mind, as much as she ever worked anything out. Find a young man who resembled Kayla's word picture, teach him to answer Urza's guilty questions, then troll her trumped-up Mishra past Urza's eyes. A new Mishra wouldn't cure his madness. Nothing could do that, not while those Power Stone eyes were lodged in Urza's skull. But if a false Mishra could convince Urza to walk away from his work table, that would be enough.